When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good morning uh, to you on this Tuesday morning. Welcome you along to the programme. I can already see your texts and WhatsApps coming in. Uh, we love to hear from you, so do keep those coming. And I was listening to Barry doing the news there at 10 o'clock and hearing the Taoiseach uh, comment on a story that's actually making the front page of the Irish Daily Mail today. And it's to do with the Tánaiste Leo Varadkar. Now, he seemingly privately told members of his party that he felt it was a mistake to waiver the school transport fees this year. Now, even the while it was said privately to his party members, it looks like a lot of the party members are obviously talking about what the Taoiseach has said because, as I say, the Taoiseach even commenting on it uh, this morning. Multiple TDs and uh, senators who attended the Fine Gael party's uh, Think In said Leo Varadkar told him told them that some sort of fee should have been maintained and if they had maintained some sort of fee it would have avoided the service being oversubscribed. It's understood that Leo Varadkar suggested the government should have instead looked at changes to the so-called voluntary contribution schemes as a way to save parents money because look the idea of waivering the school transport fees was done cost of living to help out families but of course it only helped out families whose children use the school bus there's many many other parents send their children to school who don't go on the school bus so they weren't going to benefit from that so I do think Leo Varadkar might have had a pretty good idea there to give more money to the schools if there was this chunk of money that was going to be saved use that and say to the schools instead of looking for voluntary contributions this year and that way every single child going to the school would have benefited uh, from uh, it. And of course because they wavered the school transport fees they are literally, it's gone to thousands now, thousands of children they're all over the country are without school uh, transports and that simply is down to the demands on the service. But the government sources, they're still uh, stressing that while the Department of Education is working with Bus Aaron to add capacity, they're admitting that there will be some children who will not receive concessionary tickets this year. However, they're at pains to point out that those children had never been guaranteed a ticket on the bus. But they are saying, even up to last night, that all eligible children will have a place on the bus. And of course, eligibility is down to how far a primary or a secondary school pupil lives from the school. So many of those children still don't have a seat on the bus. But they're saying, look, they're working with all of their partners within Bus 
there and they're trying to add capacity onto it. But I think when it all really started to go wrong was when the application process for a seat on the bus, that opened probably in the late spring and parents whose children go on the bus know that they have to apply every year for a seat on the bus so the applications opened the applications actually closed at the end of July and at that point 130,000 children had applied or their parents had applied for a seat on the bus but then the announcement came from Norma Foley guess what we're giving school transport free to all families this year and it was saving families with one child 500 euro and I think it's 650 if you have two or more children on the bus then there was a flood of new applications over 44,000 new applications went in and that's obviously what swamped the system because I I did hear it suggested and it might have been uh, it might have worked better if when all of the applications were in and Boss Aaron were processing the applications, if at that point Norma Foley said, OK, applications for the school bus has closed. Whoever wants one has put their name down, then announced, by the way, we're not going to charge any of the families. I think that might have worked uh, better, but it was the fact that the system got absolutely uh, swamped. And I saw our own Senator Tim Lambert from Cork speaking in the Irish Daily Mail today. He says in his own constituency, now he's in the Cork Southwest uh, constituency, he said there are 172 children without places on the school transport. He's gone on to call on Minister Norma Foley to engage with private providers to secure additional capacity. And he's been a bit proactive. He said he's been ringing around bus companies in his area and they're saying to him, look, we do have capacity on private bus service but they can't do anything. They can't move until a budget and extra money comes forward from Minister Foley. So, so, you know, Tim, that's what Tim Lambert is saying. There are buses available. There are local bus companies willing to do uh, the jobs, but they need uh, the funding. But Leo Varadkar's take on it, it was a mistake. But as I say, I just heard on the news there with Artishak saying he disagrees with the Thonishta. 0818 103 103. But if you're one of those families with a child not on the bus I'm assuming you're with Leo Varadkar and saying it was a mistake to give it free to all now an interesting WhatsApp into the programme says hi Patricia hope you're keeping well I am indeed I'm just wondering the feelings of other people listening to your programme tomorrow or listening to your programme today and this is to do with Munster Rugby having their match against South Africa in Porky Cueve in November. This texter says, I am not anti-rugby, but I want to know how do people feel about the Munster match against South Africa going ahead at the Cork GAA grounds? I am totally against that. So when the local GAA officials come to my door looking for their €100 for their yearly draw. I'm telling you now, I won't be paying it. Somebody feels so strongly about it. And of course, it was announced, it was at the end of August. Uh, And actually, we spoke about it here and mentioned it here on the programme that the GAA Central Council, because it had to go to Central Council, it wasn't just up to Porky Cueve to decide if Munster Rugby could play or not at Porky Cueve. So it went to Central Council. They took a vote at the end of August and the vote was that yes, it's okay for the game to go ahead. And it'll actually 
when the game gets played, it will be the first professional rugby team to play at Porky Cueve. So a little bit of history will be made. Now, I know in Limerick and around Thomond Park in Limerick, where they had been hoping the game would go ahead. But of course, Munster Rugby realising they don't have the they have a smaller capacity in Thomond Park to what they would have at Porky Cueve. So they would be able to get more people in to watch the match and obviously it would be big of a money spinner if they can have more people paying uh, through the gates uh, pay, paying to go in so that's the reason they wanted the bigger uh, venue people in Limerick and the business community in Limerick they certainly weren't happy about the decision because from an economical point of view Limerick is going to lose out which means Limerick will lose out but Cork will gain so there will be an economic benefit to this match as well to people travelling and people spending money in the area and people staying in the area but this listener is coming at it from a GAA stance and feels that it's wrong that a rugby match should be played on the hallowed grounds of Porky Cueve. How do others feel about it? I mean, they're still feeling strongly enough saying that they won't support the annual GAA draw. And I take it from the tone of that text. It's somebody who every year has paid the €100 Euro for the yearly draw, but won't this year and solely won't this year because the Munster match will be going ahead uh, in Porky Cueve. Your thoughts welcomed on that. Now, some of your thoughts coming in, particularly with regard to the gentleman who uh, contacted us to say that he's not happy at all about the Munster match going ahead against South Africa. The first professional rugby match ever to be played at uh, Porky Cueve. It is Munster Rugby against a South African selection. It's a Porky Cueve in uh, November. Uh, he's not happy to the point that he says he won't pay his yearly GAA fee and he feels it was wrong of the GAA Central Council because they were the ones they took a vote on it. They agreed and said, yeah, it's OK, let the game go ahead. Robbie and Ballon Colleague says uh, that the stadium is in debt. Uh, he says, I think events like the rugby game like this rugby game will ease the debt of the stadium so he sees nothing wrong with it and anything that can be done to try to get some money in for Porky Cueve to pay off the debt uh, would be great someone else says uh, tell that gentleman who doesn't want the rugby match going ahead what harm is it in having a rugby match at Porky Cueve what about all the big concerts that are there is that gentleman also against the concerts I don't think he's against the concert I think I just think he's against the notion of an Another sport being played at uh, Porky Cueve. Uh, and, and another texter says, was that listener against uh, South Africa? How did he feel when rugby was played in Croke Park in Dublin? We've all contributed to Porky Cueve soccer and rugby fans. So it really is time for people to move on. And actually, I did see a quote when it got announced a couple of weeks ago that the Central Council had agreed for the match to go to go ahead because obviously Munster Rugby would have contacted Porky Cueve and would have contacted the GAA to say, is it possible for us to play the match? We need a bigger venue. We have Thoman Park. Not going to take enough people. Would you allow us to play on the 10th of November? The decision then was taken and I saw a quote from the Munster Rugby CEO, uh, Ian uh, Flanagan, on the decision and he says... You know, he went on obviously to thank the GAA and the Cork GAA for their input and their time and their uh, consideration. But he said in his statement at the time that this is not only for our supporters, the Munster rugby supporters and indeed the rugby community, but he said it's also further reaching. And he says, we very much understand the magnitude of being the first professional rugby team to play at the home of Cork GAA. So he's also accepting that it is, you know, an, an historic occasion 
and, he's, and he went so far as to say it will be an incredible and historic occasion. So your thoughts continue to send them in if you are with a bit of a divide going on now a lot of positivity for it going ahead particularly I think on that point anything that can be done to pay off the overall debt on Pork Equeef has got to be welcomed and certainly got to be welcomed by uh, people within Cork GAA 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, many people with very serious medical conditions or indeed disabilities are really dreading winter with the prospects of runaway energy bills and also lurk the threat of blackouts. To share the concerns of people who rely on life-saving home dialysis treatment, I'm joined by Rory McKenzie from County Tipperary. Good morning to you, Rory. Good morning. And uh, listen, I really appreciate you taking time out uh, to talk to us. I suppose, talk us through firstly, how often do you require home dialysis and how long does the treatment take? Well, I, I require dialysis. It takes, it's about four hours a day, but I do it four times a week. And uh, I'm on the machine for four hours, but then the machine has to clean and, there's, you know, it's the pro- whole process from going on the machine to coming off takes about five hours in total. And you do that every second day? Every second day, yeah. Has it ever happened that the electricity went off when you were in the middle of dialysis? Yeah, quite a few times it's happened, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but we we have a safe system to get off. So, you know, obviously I have to come off because the machine just gives me enough time to, to get my blood back and then I can come off safely. Yeah, but that has happened a few times without warning. But it wouldn't, the electricity wouldn't be gone for very long, was it? Well, I've come off before, you know, I usually have maybe five minutes or so and I wait to see if it comes back on. If it doesn't, then I come off because I can only wait so long without getting my blood back. Otherwise, it'll, well, I can't get it back. It can solidify, you know, but, so it would, it would be really, would it be dangerous for you if you were facing threats of lots of blackouts? It would be. Well, I'd probably end up having to go, I'd have to go back to hospital to have dialysis. I think that would be the only option. Because for me, I do it during the day. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, but the thing is, I really don't know, we don't know when blackouts are going to happen. We'll obviously get a warning but then I'll have to fit my dialysis around that which will be difficult because I have a set I have a kind of routine that you know I have a routine that I do I know <laughs> so, I know yeah, it's just a... so it, it, I have this little routine I do every week so anything that will change that routine for me will just put life into chaos really and then the fact that this machine is your life-saving dialysis machine is running uh, for five hours every second day. I, I, I don't know how heavy it is on electricity, but oh, I'm, I'm assuming your electricity has gone through the roof, has it? Oh, it's going, yeah. Well, based on neighbours and stuff, because I've always tried to find out how much it costs me extra to use the machine. But I'd probably pay a thousand pounds more a year than most people, you know, a family of four. So it's an extra thousand, and it's 
since I've changed um, electricity providers, it's actually doubled because I do a budget plan every month. I pay a certain amount. So I originally started about 154 euros a month, but that's gone up 375 odd a month. So it's, and even then, I'm still behind in in what I've paid. I still have to, a bit more. I have to actually pay more to catch up. And you're expecting further increases as yeah, oh, it, uh, yeah, same with all of us. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's just it's just non-stop, isn't it? We, we just every month there's something new extra. And are you able to claim anything back on the electricity costs, uh, well, Rory? I, I can, basically with the electricity costs, I can claim back, but on tax because my wife works. But I only that's only like four hundred euro. That I get back in my pocket. Well, not really in my pocket, is it? It goes straight to the electricity <laughs> cost. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. particularly with the rising costs, that's where that's where it's going straight, it's yeah. straight away. I mean, yeah, because like if I do in centre, I, there's no cost to me. Yeah, I, that was going to be my next question. Are you not saving the HSE money by opting to do home dialysis? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm saving quite a bit of money. I mean, even though they provide the machine and all the the liquids and stuff, I'm still saving a, a, a good bit of money for the HSE. And there's nothing forthcoming from the HSE towards the cost? No, I mean, the Irish Kidney Association are very good. They keep fighting for extra cost. But, you know, it's, we're, we're, there's a lot of people going to the government saying we need this, we need that. So it's quite difficult to get your voice heard. It's, a, it's an ongoing battle. And Rory, how did you end up needing kidney dialysis? Well, like in 2018, I had uh, kidney cancer. So I lost both kidneys within the space of two months and suddenly ended up on dialysis. <laughs> wow. Uh, but now I've, I'm also facing into radiotherapy now because I've just found out I've got the cancer's back now. So I've got that to fight now as well. But. Oh, you God, know. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. But you went from having a very normal life. Oh, yeah. And then suddenly just pain in my back. And within a couple of hours, I was told I had cancer in the kidneys. And then over a space of two months, they were removed. And then I was straight on to dialysis, which, you know, I mean, it took a while to get used to that in your head. But, you know, I'm coping now. I mean, it's just part of my life now. I just get on with it. But that's the benefit of home hemodialysis because it's, because doing it at home, it's more like a normal life for me. I just feel, you know, when I was going into the unit, it takes, you know, it's, I mean, you're gone six hours when you go for, to have dialysis in a unit. Yeah, well, it's driving there and parking up and going in and getting hooked up and then come, you have the drive home. Whereas... Yeah, well, yeah, you're lucky enough you, you're supplied with a taxi when you do in centre. Oh, are you? Okay. okay. But still, you're, it's the driving bit and Plus, there's not just you in the taxi. You have to wait for other people to finish their session. So you might be waiting an extra hour on top. Well, it's much more convenient to be able to do it at home. And now on oh, top, yeah. so you don't need, you know, you're, you're coping well. And then to get hit again with uh, cancer. Uh, but you just don't need the added worry and stress of what's the electricity bill going to be like when it no, drops through, like, through the letterbox. No, because you're just juggling your finances, you know. I mean, and it's not just the electricity. I have to worry about heating because with dialysis, you get cold. So, you know, the, you've got the heating to worry about. I mean, I, I could list off a... So you would use more. You would use more heating 
than a normal household. Yeah, because I, I suffer from the cold a bit more because of it. You know, I might be anemic at times and, you know, with the health issues off being on dialysis. Generally, a lot of dialysis patients suffer from the cold. So you need that extra bit of heat. So you're looking for, you mentioned the Irish Kidney Association. Let me bring them in at this point, uh, Rory Stray there, because I've got Carol Moore, who is the uh, chief executive of the Irish Kidney Association. Good morning to you, Carol. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, Rory. Good morning. And, and Carol, listening to Rory's story, I take it that's very typical of anybody else on home dialysis. Yeah, I mean, uh, we started to hear Rory that... Um, into further cancer treatment and it's terrible that on top of everything else that Rory has that he's now having to worry about um, the, all of these additional costs. In other countries when people go on that home dialysis they actually provide a grant for people to, to help to encourage them to go on to home dialysis because it takes an awful lot of pressure off the healthcare system um, because obviously somebody doing home dialysis uh, isn't being transported uh, to the dialysis unit and isn't using up nursing care and treatment care. And dialysis units are under an awful lot of pressure. The staff are very overworked. So it's something that we should be really encouraging people to do and supporting them to do uh, rather than making it, you know, putting a lot of obstacles in their ways because particularly with the cost going up and people worried about electricity outages, a lot of people are asking, you know, would I be better off in in-centre dialysis because at least then I don't have to worry about traditional cost. But as you, uh, so but as you say, yeah, but as you say, that's going to cost the HSE a more. You've made, I think, a really worthwhile suggestion to do with renewable energy for home dialysis patients. Yes. Um, I mean, again, it's reflective of, of how we do policies that actually don't help people who are in, in poverty. So if you have money, if you, ha- if you have the cash, you can actually go off and get an SEI grant and you can put in uh, solar panels or replace your boiler and reduce your costs. And it's also much more environmentally friendly. But if you don't have money, you can't avail of these grants. So what we would like to see is that patients who do have complex needs who are reliant on electricity, um, that they would be a hundred percent grant for renewable energy systems, um, and that would also, particularly if you put in batteries with the solar panels in other countries, then it provides coverage if there is an outage. Unfortunately, in Ireland, when there's an outage, you're not allowed to use the solar panels and the batteries um, for safety reasons. Apparently, I'm not quite sure the detail of that, but it would make a big difference to patients. Obviously, not all patients can do it. So, for example, if you're in a rented house on home dialysis, you have to agree that with the landlord. But certainly you find patients in poverty, a lot of the time they're in houses which are very poorly insulated because they can't afford to upgrade their houses. So they really suffer. So for these patients who have complex medical needs, there should be a 100% grant for renewable energy system. You take pressure off the patients and you're also helping the environment. It's just, it's when I read your proposal, uh, Carol, it's just, it's a no-brainer. It's just one of those ideas you're thinking... This should always have been uh, the way it is. Because, Rory, I, I take it from when your diagnosis and then ending up on dialysis every second day, I take it you had to give up work, did you? Well, yeah, I did. I, did. I, still, I still managed to do an odd job now and then because I used to do grass cutting, well, lawn cutting and stuff and the odd bit of gardening. But, it, I, I, yeah, I don't really have a, a lot of time during the day. I might have the 
maybe one day a week that I can maybe do something to grass but I I don't really make you know much money on a, a grass cut it's quite you know I don't charge a lot because I know <laughs> only I take, know only it takes about half an hour to cut the person's grass but yeah you try. I don't really, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, no. but you, I, you, I, you, you try to do your bit. But it's very understandable why with the, and particularly now that you're battling cancer um, yeah, well, a, again. Yeah. Uh, Carol, somebody has suggested, what about generators for people who are on home dialysis? Could could the HSC not give them generators? Particularly, I think people worried about the power outages. Um, I think it certainly de- can be very expensive and you have to have space for them um, and a lot of the time they'll only work for a certain amount of time. Uh, so it may not be the, the most kind of efficient way to do it. But certainly, there, you know, we need to explore what the solutions are uh, for people on home dialysis uh, and do, you know, simple things like um, replacing boilers, like um, solar PV panels, heat exchange pumps, all of those. We're making them available for people who have money. Why can't we make them available for people like Rory? Yeah. Who literally, you know, their life circumstances are so challenging. And they're, you know, they're helping the healthcare system by staying out of dialysis centres. So, you know, why can't we do a little bit for them? Give them, give them a bit of a helping hand. And Carol, also just yeah. while we have you uh, on the line, you want to encourage people to register as vulnerable customers. Just explain that to us. There's two registers people can um, register on. People like Rory who are dependent on medical um, uh, equipment, they can register on the priority register, which means A, they get priority if there's an outage, and B, they cannot be disconnected for non-payment of bills at any time. And then people who say who are on dialysis and really, really feel the cold, they're classified as vulnerable customers. Or say older people who may, might be using hospital beds or uh, hoist to get in and out of bed, um, they might qualify for the special services register, which means you can't be disconnected for non-payment during the winter months. It, how you get on them is you ring your supplier and you ask to be put on the register. If the procedures do vary. Some suppliers will put you on straight away. Others require a letter uh, from your healthcare professional. But anybody who is vulnerable or, um, you know, is dependent on medical equipment, get on that register because at least then you don't have to worry about being disconnected. Yeah, for it's important. Payment. It is really very, is very important. important. And obviously yeah. whenever we're talking with uh, the Irish Kidney Association, we remind people... Please, please, please carry a donor card. If you don't have a donor card, you can free text the word donor to 50050. Please carry your donor uh, card. Um, thank you, Carol, for that. And Rory, can we wish you nothing but good health, particularly as your treatment uh, goes forward uh, for cancer as well. But listen, we really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today on the programme. That's, that's great. I'm glad that you're d- discussing this issue, you know, for people that have medical issues, which is great. Okay. Listen, God bless and take care. Carol, thanks a million for joining us. Okay, thank you. Good morning to you both. Bye-bye. Rory McKenzie there, a dialysis, a home dialysis patient from County Tip and Carol Moore, who is the CEO of the Irish Kidney Association. 0818 103 103. Text WhatsApp 086-2103-103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
Now we here in Ireland generate over one million tonnes of packaging waste. Well, that's what we accumulated in 2020 and that was for the fourth year in a row. New figures from the EPA show Ireland has met its targets for recycling glass, paper, cardboard and metal. But it's plastics that's letting us down. Joining me from the EPA and to find out more is Tara Higgins. Good morning to you, Tara. Good morning. Let's, I suppose, look at the positives uh, first. We are doing really well for recycling glass, 84%, paper and cardboard, 78% and metal at 71%. Uh, You've got to be pleased with those figures. Yeah, exactly. So the latest figures, there, there's um, good news when it comes to those particular um, packaging types. So for glass, for paper and cardboard and for metal, as you said, we're doing really well and we're on track to... Um, to meet even the 2025 and 2030 targets that are coming down the track. So that's really good news. Um, and, you know, really what the figures are showing is that it's when it comes to plastics that, that Ireland does have a problem. So we're only recycling at the moment 29% of all plastic packaging, which is less than a third, um, with the remaining two-thirds um, essentially going for, for incineration. So, so that's a big problem. But why do you believe that's happening? I mean, most of us now are doing our recycling and our segregating at home. I mean, I've got four wheelie bins lined up in in my back garden, so it's never been easier. Yes, yeah, so there's a couple of factors at play. Um, you know, one one factor is that there are still actually a lot of plastics ending up in the general waste bin, and there's a couple of factors for that. Sometimes it's, it's that people aren't clear on particular types of plastic, whether they can or can't be put into the recycling bin, even though it has been announced now that all soft plastics, once they're clean, dry and loose, can go into the recycling bin. So that's an important message. We are still finding, like I said, that there's quite a lot of plastic and um, unsorted waste going into the general waste bin. A lot of it is actually coming from businesses and from commercial settings, so not actually from households, which, um, you know, households are performing well. But there are still quite a lot of, um, you know, settings such as, you know, in, um, in hospitality or in catering or in takeaways or you know, street bins where a lot of waste is unsorted and that is going for incineration. So there's plastics, like plastic bottles that should be recycled that aren't currently. But also there's a factor at play that um, even when some of these soft plastics are properly source segregated and are put into the right bin, that there's just not an actual viable outlet for these. So the waste industry, it's a privatised industry. And if there's not an economically viable way to recycle some of these, particularly, like I said, the soft plastics, it's an issue. And these are then being diverted to incineration because it's actually the most cheap option to, to deal with them. So that's an issue. And to tackle that really, you know, and what the EPA is calling for our measures, on the producers and on the manufacturers um, and on the retailers to to stop the the placing on the market of these plastics that can't be recycled. So everyone will be familiar when you unpack your shopping or when you get a, a an online delivery, just how much um, lightweight plastic wrapping there is on on products. And a lot of this is excessive and it's unnecessary. Um, and if there's an alternative, for example, paper, which can be recycled, that needs to become the, the default option. It needs to be cheaper and um, easier to do the right thing and, and to avoid single-use plastic that, that can't be recycled. So there's a, a part to play, obviously, for households and for businesses to separate the waste, but there's also a huge part to play for for government to introduce these um, 
financial instruments that are needed to, to really drive that change and then on the producers and on the industry to, to respond to that as well. Because, it, you know, I think we as consumers, that's what we want. I mean, I absolutely annoys me so much uh, when I see all of this waste packaging if something arrives in the post and it's just there's no need for some of the packaging that arrives you know so and and, and I, you know I think that's all of us as, as consumers we're trying to do our bit absolutely and you know you know some shops and some supermarkets are now allowing consumers um to, uh, to shoppers to leave their, their packaging behind all of that can send a strong message back to, to manufacturers but ultimately it has to also be the economics that work so plastic is just so cheap it's artificially cheap really um, it's, and plastics are made from fossil fuels so there needs to be a crackdown on the amount of plastics so EPA is calling for a suite of measures including for example a tax or a levy on virgin plastics so that you know, these. You know, it's, it's sending the message to the industry to look for alternatives um, and to avoid, as we said, the unnecessary, the excessive packaging. You know, plastic does have some part to play. People, you know, want goods to be to be fresh, and particularly for perishable goods. You know, it's not always easy to find alternatives, but undeniably, there's a huge excessive amount of plastic in cases where it's not essential, um, and there are alternatives. So. The single-use plastics directive that the EU has brought out is is, is also pushing the, pushing this and pushing this agenda to to um, encourage the industry to look for alternatives. But then at home we also have a part to play in and sending that message back to um, to producers. And one of the interesting findings in our latest it was the first year that EPA reported on reusable packaging. So I suppose we often think of just what comes into our homes, that type of packaging, but there's a huge amount of packaging in the transport chain, in the delivery of products to shop shelves. Um, and you know we can we've all seen big piles of corrugated cardboard and big piles of other types of packaging outside of commercial units, all of that stuff that brings the products to the shop shelves and then it, it's it ends up as waste. Substituting that for reusable packaging um, can really make a dent in our figures as well. So we did find that only 1% of packaging on the Irish market uh, was reusable packaging. But even that alone, even that small amount, avoided 72,000 tonnes of single-use packaging. So by making, by looking for alternatives, by kind of thinking outside the box and redesigning our systems so that we're avoiding, you know, the kind of, take, make, waste and, you know, use once and ends up as waste and looking where we can substitute it for, for more sustainable alternatives that will really, you know, help to drive down just the the overall generation of this amount of waste. Yeah, we all, we all have our, our bit to do. Just by the way, just picking up something you said about the soft plastics and we're now allowed to, uh, to put them in to the recycling bin. But there is still a bit of confusion for some people. If you are confused, what do you suggest people do? Do you pop it into the recycling bin just in case it can be recycled or do you suggest putting it into the landfill bin? Really, once it's clean, dry and loose, it can all be placed into the recycling bin. So even things like crisp packets and things like that that um, in the past weren't, now the message is to put them into the recycling bin and it will at least, you know, the maximum amount of um, recyclable material can be collected that way. And then there's the sorting technology now at waste facilities where they can um, pull out whatever, you know, there is in the market for and where it's wrong. So really we want to kind of avoid the you know, leaving it out in case of doing the wrong thing because now, you know, the, the focus is on really um, capturing the maximum amount of recyclables. And like I said, even if it's 
isn't currently recyclable and if there isn't a market, by collecting this material, it will um, prompt the industry to look for viable outlets and to look for um, solutions to, to, um, to, to, to find a way to use this waste. And even if it is going for energy recovery, that's still extract from it rather than it ending up in a landfill where there's, you know, no value extracted from Well well said. Good words of advice. Thanks for that, uh, Tara, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks very much. Good morning to you, Tara Higgins of the EPA. And in the next hour, we'll be taking a look at the Great British Bake Off. It's back on our screens tonight. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Dennis emailing Patricia at c103.ie said that he spotted a speed detection van outside St. Brogan's College in Bandon last night after midnight. And Dennis is wondering at that hour, are they saving lives or are they fundraising for the budget? Dennis being rather cynical at proving that the speed detection vans, you can be picked up speeding at any hour of the day or night. I don't have to hand and heart say, Dennis, I don't know I've ever seen a speed detection van out that late at night. But Dennis spotted it last night. St. Brogan's College in Bandon. Now, some of your thoughts coming in on issues we've been talking about in the programme. Some reaction to our interview in the last hour was Rory McKenzie, the gentleman from County Tipperary, who was outlining what it's like to be on kidney home dialysis, extra cost to his electricity and, of course, the fear of power outages. Morris says, Patricia, surely, surely the government will have to give money for people who are doing home dialysis, who have a home dialysis unit, some kind of an extra allowance in the budget. Those with these machines surely should get a special allowance. No one would have any problem with that. God knows they've enough to be dealing with without worrying what the electricity bill is going to be. Yeah, and that was one of the points I put to Rory as well. And for all Rory, besides dealing with the home dialysis, he's then, unfortunately, the cancer is back. So he's dealing with treatment for his cancer as well. So he really does have enough on his plate. And then Phil in Formoy. Good morning to you, Phil. Phil contacted us uh, to say that she's also on home dialysis, has been for the last 13 years. She said, I never got a single penny towards my electricity. And I did ask Rory that, was he able to claim anything back? And he, he gave up work when he ended up getting the cancer and then ended up on dialysis. But he explained to me that his wife has a job outside of the home and it's through her taxation that they're able to claim back and they can claim back the uh, electricity at 20% they can get back. So I don't know if that's of any use or of help to you, Phil. If you've got a partner who's at work, they can claim uh, for it. But no, there's nothing directly given to home dialysis patients, which seems really, really unfair. And then when we were talking about solar panels, and it's one of the suggestions that's come in from Carol, uh, Moore, who is the CEO of the Irish Kidney Association, and they're saying to the government, you know, allow people who are on home dialysis, give them a hundred percent grant aiding for them to put renewable energy into their home, be it a heat pump or to do something like putting in solar panels, for example. And she said that something had been explained to her that even if they did were were generating their own electricity, they wouldn't be able to use it in a power outage. And she didn't quite understand the technology behind that, but she said it had been suggested to her. Well, Dennis is a man in the know and he says you can use the battery during a power outage from from PV panels. But, he said, you require something called an inverter 
I'm not quite sure what that is. He said the PV, the solar panels can't be used during a blackout and he's got a very understandable reason. He said they could injure an ESB technician who'd be working on the line as the solar panel would still be feeding power into the grid. Hence the reason that it can't be used during a power outage. That uh, obviously, Dennis, that's in the situation where the power goes out because of a storm and the ESB technician has to work on the line. I'm assuming it's different when the power outages, I mean, what we're expecting if it goes ahead are similar to power outages. Some people may remember them that happened during the 70s where they knocked off the power. It was to save energy at the time because there wasn't enough energy for the country because the oil crisis was going on back back then. So I take it in a situation like that, you wouldn't have a technician working on the line would it be okay then I don't know but that's the explanation for us thank you for that uh, Dennis and then on Munster Rugby playing their match at uh, Porky Cueve and we've one of our listeners who is against it not happy with it at all and uh, feels that the rugby match shouldn't be allowed to go ahead at a GAA pitch well he's been back on again to us to say just an update he said he's not against concerts being played at Porky Cueve because people were saying what about the concerts and it's all raising money for Porky Cueve and there's a debt as we know hanging over the head of the Cork GAA the county board and anything that can you know help to pay off that debt surely has got to be welcomed so he says no problem at all with those concerts uh, going ahead and he said the reason that he doesn't object to concerts going ahead is the promoters don't have their own venues in order to hold these concerts he also wants to point out once again he's not anti-rugby he's also not anti-soccer as he's played both of those sports in the past but he says the rugby fraternity and the soccer fraternity have their own pitches and that's where those matches should be played. He feels that the pitches should only be for GAA matches and of course Munster Rugby themselves have their own venue in Thoman Park but it's just not big enough for this uh, particular match. Uh, but he's still objecting and says that the ma- he, he feels really strongly that the GAA shouldn't have allowed the match to go ahead. Charlie in Mwilin says I'm all up for the rugby in Porky Cueve. That gentleman who contacted you must be a person against foreign sports and he says he's not he clearly says he's not but he feels that they should play their soccer and are their rugby play them at their own venues Deirdre in Carrick Tool said if the GAA are happy to rent out the park to other sports I think it's a great idea we are too small an island to have stadiums everywhere with capacity for bigger events so using them makes sense. Also better for our carbon footprint, having one big stadium in each region for everybody to use. Also, Deirdre said let us not forget, it'll be bringing people into Cork. I don't see a problem with it at all. And Robbie is making the same point. The concerts and these big rugby games bring huge economic benefit uh, to Cork. There's a much bigger picture here. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons that I mentioned that the Limerick community were raging when they heard that the match was removed uh, to Cork from an economical point of view they know that Cork's gain is going to be at Limerick's loss so there is an economic benefit and somebody has other people saying fantastic that that match is going ahead are tickets still available they're not I can tell you they are all of the tickets are sold uh, they w- listen they went on sale and they sold out really really quickly they went on general sale I think it was on Tuesday of last week or was it Tuesday of this uh, week but all of the matches now are completely uh, sold out because I know the last ones were the the, the, the terrace uh, tickets 
and they were uh, snapped up very, very quickly indeed. So no, there are no tickets available. If you haven't got your ticket yet, if you have got your ticket, then enjoy. Uh, rugby fans very much looking forward to that event. Now, just quickly looking at some other texts that are coming into us. Oh, oh, staying on rugby, Eileen by text. Patricia, I'd love to be at that rugby match. I actually feel sorry for that uh, gentleman saying that he won't pay the €100 Euro to the Cork County Board. That's a very small amount of money that'll make much more out of the uh, rugby match. And on street lights and the switching off of street lights, and you know, there's been talks of uh, maybe if we do end up with blackouts, well, if we end up with blackouts, the street lights will go out automatically. But can we conserve energy by knocking off street lights earlier? Knocking them off after midnight was one suggestion some of our couple of our listeners actually had. Nora in Charleville says, now I don't know why this is, but she said there's no lights in our neighbourhood at night and it is so dark. And Nora says, I feel it's so dangerous. And then she said this morning I was walking around and would you believe all the street lights were still on on the main street in Charleville. They seem to be on all of the time, not making sense. And I don't know what area, what neighbourhood Nora is in, but she says they have no street lights. And somebody else is worried about Christmas lights and will we have no Christmas lights this uh, year? Uh, well, I know there's already been talks, Retail Excellence Ireland have suggested that there has to be street lights. It has to be Christmas lights, doesn't it? Run up to Christmas, though maybe we'll have a shorter run. You know, the Christmas lights usually go on maybe around the end of November in lots of towns cities that maybe we'll only do it two weeks before Christmas it will be a way certainly of cutting down on the costs but it will be conserving energy because by, by the time we get into December we're really going to be into lots and lots of trying to conserve energy to avoid blackouts so uh, there's no decision yet taken about Christmas lights in our towns and cities but there's already certainly a lot of talk going on about it. And on school transport that we mentioned earlier with the Tánish de Leo Varadkar coming out and saying that he reckons it was a mistake to waiver the school transport fees, even though the Taoiseach says it wasn't a mistake. But certainly for the many, many families that are missing out on a place on the bus, it feels like it was a mistake. Irene says, uh, Patricia, on school transport, it's not fair to all of the students, particularly those that have paid every single year for the last five years. We were on holidays and we didn't meet the deadline. My daughter is doing her leaving search. This is a crucial year for her and there are no more more seats on the bus. It simply isn't fair. Thanking you. And that's Irene from Killer. And Irene, I don't know whether if it's a concessionary seat that your daughter's been getting for the last five years, then yes, there are no seats left on the bus. But if she is entitled to that seat on the bus, I did mention that earlier that the, the Department of Education has not given up on this and they are still already working with, continue to work with Bus Aaron to add capacity. And they say that all eligible children will have a place on the bus. So if you're your daughter was eligible for a seat but if it's a concessionary seat then no certainly and even if you've been in on time to apply for the tickets you wouldn't have got one there's, there's seems to be little or no concessionary tickets being given out this year 0818 103 103 and a final text from John says Patricia this government should be told by the voters if they don't get this budget right for the less well off people then they simply need to walk and we need a general uh, election we need to put guns to their heads the less well off needs to be sorted out and if not then they need to go that's by John to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Carpenters are wanted in all areas of the Cork region you can call 021 233 9120 a cleaner 
is wanted for 15 hours per week. It's for Bohabui Comprehensive School. CV and letter of application, please, to the Secretary, Board of Management, Bohabui Comprehensive School in Bohabui. And a pig stock person is wanted full time, Ballylanders area. It's for a wiener selection. Call 086 839836. And Honeybee Hair Salon, they're in Skibbereen. They've got a vacancy for full time or a part time stylist and a junior for weekend work. Debbie is your contact on 028 23623. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Channel 4 has confirmed that the new season of The Great British Bake Off will return to our screens tonight at 8pm to chat about a programme that is loved by all ages. I'm joined by our showbiz reporter, Crossy, from our Dublin studios. Good morning to you, Crossy. Good morning. That time of year again. It's so strange, isn't it? Because <laughs> usually when this happens, what, we've 12 weeks every Tuesday night of being hungry, looking at cakes and God knows what else. So I'm excited. It, it's that little warm hug that you get in the in the autumn and wintertime, I find. Yeah, I think it's the minute they play the theme music on the first night, you go, <laughs> here we are, we're, we're in. And you know it'll bring you right right up to just in time to start getting ready for Christmas. It's, it's a, a sure sign that winter is here. Now, firstly, because of the period of mourning uh, for Queen Elizabeth, was it speculated that it wouldn't go ahead tonight, Crossy? So since last Friday, a lot of shows, like you'll know that BBC and ITV have basically nearly wiped all their programmes for the foreseeable future. You know, like like so The Voice, The Mass Dancer, The Mass Singer, all that sort of stuff. Even Strictly, I think, has been pushed back for another two weeks. And they were going, oh, obviously, Channel 4 are going to do the exact same. And one of the one of the guys, the head guys in Channel 4 says, well, Channel 4 always gives a different view. So as much as they're mourning the Queen... They also said they need to cater for people who, you know, who wouldn't have been mourning the Queen or who wouldn't have been, you know, part of all that what's happening at the minute. So even last week, they aired the Gogglebox, which was filmed on a Wednesday evening and it the ratings flew. I think people it would be interesting tonight to see what's going to happen because, you know, BBC's wall to wall, ITV's wall to wall, Channel 5, all the stations in the UK have documentaries and they're doing live coverage. And they're very curious to see, are there people kind of going to go, right, it's been nearly a week now. Do we turn on something else? And they're looking at, at a Great British Bake Off as one of those programmes to see, hmm, I wonder, will it get a boost or will will there not be enough people watching it tonight? So it'll be very interesting this time tomorrow to see when the ratings come out, what will it be like compared to other years? Yeah. Even the COVID years, because, you know, we were all stuck indoors and it got a massive boost the first year of COVID. So they're kind of looking at that because it's going to be very interesting to see our people, you know, now looking at saying, right, what else is on TV? Yeah, I, I think it's going to get a massive boost because I think people are going to, it's a very inoffensive programme and I think people, complete distraction. And I think for some, even the ones that are watching the wall-to-wall coverage of the yeah. of the late Queen, I think will want a, want a bit of a distraction. But when you think about a TV programme that watches amateur contestants <laughs> bake bread, cakes and buns, if you saw that on paper, it shouldn't work. But it really does. What do you believe has been the success of this programme? I think it's inoffensive, but there's a lot of jeopardy in it. I think they pick 
the people you know, they're picking contestants out not based on whether they want to be the next host of this morning or some other tv show like that they're just normal people that are a bit quirky and they go on they think they're great at baking and all of a sudden they make a hames of it and you're kind of on that journey with them whether you want them to fail you want them to get good like even little things like you know looking at the Paul Hollywood handshake. When that happens, I remember the last last year he watched it and he gave a handshake. I remember we whelped in here and way and we're going, hang on, we're screaming for a TV show about someone baking. It's like this this is just so odd. But I just think in a world where everything is being thrown at you and everything is going like like this, hate that person, don't do this, that when there's a TV show about baking, you're just gonna go, do you know what? This is lovely. A friend of mine works in TV and he says they don't understand how it works because when you're pitching a TV show now, the name is very important because if you're scrolling, you know, if you're on Virgin or Sky or whatever it is, and you're scrolling, the name has to catch it before you watch it. So if you look at like say, Naked Attraction, the masked dancer, the masked singer, you're going, what the hell is this? But with Great British Bake Off, <laughs> it does exactly what it says. And it's just, it's, I think people thought once it left the BBC and it went to Channel 4 that it wasn't going to do well. But I actually think it gave it a fresh lick of paint and all of a sudden we all love Perlite again. Remember when yeah. she gave away the final, the winner a I, couple of years ago, the oh, first year of the Channel oh, 4 one. Oh, unreal, <laughs> unreal. And it was like when Mary Berry wasn't going to go to Channel 4, I mean... I was a sense of mourning, thinking it'll never be the same again without Mary Mary Berry. But it's almost like you forget that Mary Berry was once there. Yeah, I, I think Prue has done such a great job. I met her at an event uh, a couple of years ago, and I've never met someone so warm and loving and, you know, shying away from the media, but still would have time to have a little chat with you uh, about everything. And I, I actually, what she's like on TV is what she's like in person. I think it's great, but I also love the backstory of Great British Bake Off. You know, when we're watching it tonight, they're in a tent and it's beautiful weather in in, uh, London. But if you remember this year, the weather was atrociously hot, (laughs) especially in Ireland and in London. And I follow one of the guys who previously was on it and he was like, I guarantee you they're filming it this week. And it turns out that they were filming it that week. And he says the heat of that tent the pressure to make sure the buns or the cakes or whatever they're making is at a correct temperature. He says it is pure agony. So it'll be very interesting to see how hot they're going to be this year because uh, it was filmed in the very, very hot week when it was like 35, 36 degrees in London, which again adds to it because, you know, we're going to be at home, curtains closed, heat on, the lights dimmed. We're probably going to be eating biscuits ourselves or some sort of bun while we're doing it because I don't know anybody who can watch that TV show without eating food. Um, I think I put on a stone every year while I'm watching this. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that the tent will be hot, we'll be watching, you know, showstoppers melting before our eyes. Yes. And it's always interesting, isn't it? Like, there's certain things, you know, I, I talk to my granny about this. You know, like, the show. There's, there's, there's very few shows that you can talk to different generations over, you know, going, oh, did you see how they made that bun? Would you have made it that way? And I know my other half is mad into baking as well. And I know we've had chats of like competitive where they've been like, no, I could do that better. I'm like, go on, prove me wrong. Go on, prove me wrong. Go into the kitchen. And we then make it the next night or whatever it is. So it's just for me, I think the whole ensemble, everything with it. And I'd love to see another Irish one again. I know Virgin Media did one a couple of years ago. 
I think, you know, because it's Ireland, we're all more than likely going to know maybe three or four people in that tent. Wouldn't it be great that we could all root for them the way that great British does? It's also a massive hit in America. Um, so when they're when I think they watch it maybe a couple of months after us. So it's not just that it's a, that it's watching it for us and for the UK. It's also huge there. And this year we actually have a contestant from Northern Ireland who loves tin whistles, loves Irish dancing, and loves everything about Ireland. So I'm wondering, are we going to see a lot of you know Irish themes in her cakes and her buns and everything that she makes? Uh, this year. And she's one of the younger contestants. Uh, she's a, a student. She's, she's only 23. Ribs, I think is how you pronounce yeah, her name. Yeah, do you know what I've actually found? Isn't there a lot more of uh, older, like 30 plus in it this year? There's a 60-year-old uh, from Bedfordshire. Dawn is the oldest and the youngest is is 18. Um, but yeah, there there's a lot of, there's a 59-year-old in there. There's a 34, 33 yeah, the, and a 45-year-old, yeah, the, but, but that's the one thing about this programme. Again, it's all sections of society are represented. There's a supermarket cashier, there's a nuclear scientist, there's a music teacher, there's a sales assistant, there's a nanny, and, and there's a former charity director. They're right across the board and right across the age spectrum, and I think that's what, that's the key to this. It's so many people will be able to identify with some of these bakers. It's wholesome, isn't it? Yeah. It's just proper... I know they have the the knitting program as well, and they always say that's like a, a sister version of the Great British Bake Off. But I think you know what we've we've been done with all these massive shows, which you know they're exposing something or they're leaving you on tender hooks. With this, it's just it does what it says. It's baking. It's the jeopardy of baking. You've got Paul. You've got Prue. You got Matt Lucas, who is I always find him fantastic and. He's quick-witted as well, I find. And I, I think it works really well. I think all the presenters have always brought something different. But the one thing I want you to watch tonight is Noel Fielding's jumpers. Mm. Because he wears a bit... His jumpers can be a bit different. Mm. And it was only last year I saw one of them. And it was like this black and white knitted jumper of a skull. And I remember going, jeez, that's lovely. And my friend says, you need to start Googling his jumpers after the show. They're worth about three or four grand or maybe six grand. Like these aren't something you'd buy in H&M or Pennies, which I thought, oh, I wonder, can I, you know, after C, can I go find this? They are very, very wealthy. And it's a different side where you're going, wow, I wonder who's dressing him. And I wonder, is there a thing with it that it's so posh and so rich? But yeah, just watch it tonight. We we have a little thing there going, what's, what's Noel going to be wearing tonight? <laughs> keep it, keep is it, it going to be wild looking? But they are Noel <laughs> Fielding and Matt Lucas together. They're, you know, they are just an absolute joy uh, to watch. Uh, they really are. Okay, so it's eight o'clock uh, tonight. Is it the next 10 or 12? You reckon 12 weeks, is it? It's going to be, I'd say, between 11 and 12 okay. weeks that it's going to be on. Uh, there's 12 contestants, yes. Yeah, so I know they usually do a filler episode in between. it. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As well. So yeah, okay. no, we have an next, we what the next maybe two months anyway. Yeah. So what's that September, October, into November? It's our, like, it's our yeah. Tuesday night viewing sorted. And before I let you go, I have to ask you, because I saw you put up on social media, uh, uh, you went along to Garth Brooks and you brought your mammy with you? But you know what? I have had the most wildest, wildest time at Garbrooks. Um, I was doing a thing for RTE a couple of months ago and I met this lovely lady and she was like, give me your number. I might need it sometime. So I gave her my number. I got a phone call on Wednesday. She's working on a TV show for Garth Brooks that Garth Brooks is filming. Um, I think it's either going to be on Netflix or Amazon Prime. And they're like, we'd love to follow you. And I was like, oh, well, I wouldn't be a massive fan. You know, like I'm bringing my mom. They're like, we want to see your side of it. You know, if someone who isn't a massive fan going to the gig and seeing the spectacle. So I've had a a film crew following me on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday when I went to watch it. So my face, you're going to see me as a, not, I don't, I don't mean a non-fan. Like I love gigs. I'd watch a gig at the back if it was anybody. I just love going to gigs. And I could not believe the spectacle. Like if, if there's people listening now going next Friday and Saturday and they're going with people who are mad fans and they're going, oh, I don't know whether I'm going to like it or not. You're going to love it. To see a person with a guitar stand in the middle of a field with 80,000 people around him and be able to control those 80,000 people, whether it's sadness, happiness, making them jump up and down. And I was trying to, I was trying to figure out myself, I was like, what, what has he got? And then I realized that most of his music are at key moments of people's lives. You know, the dance would have been a wedding song. The river could have been a funeral song. So there's key moments of people's lives that they'll always remember. And then when they hear those songs, like he must have cried, I'd say six times on stage on Sunday when we were at it. And yeah, it's just, to me, I just like, I I remember walking out of it and I was going, that was something special. I was like, I, I didn't, you know, if you had said to me last year that you would have went and enjoyed it, I would have been like, oh, I'll go and I'll know three or four songs. Yeah, you're grand. But I just, it's still with me, if that makes sense. Like if, if I had to go again this week, I wouldn't be giving out about it. I'd be like, yeah, oh, I've heard more. I've heard, you're reflecting what I've heard so many other people say, people who sort of went along because either their other half was a fan or they got a spare ticket and everybody came away going, that was just an amazing party I've been at. But by the way, was your mother, is your mother a fan? Oh, stop. She was dancing. She was oh, up and down. Gorgeous. She was running around the place. We got the we got the cowboy hats on the way in. You know, it was all such a little journey. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. It wasn't just yeah. about the gig itself. When we walked out, you had a lot of people singing songs and we had great weather for it. But look, it was great. Uh, his uh, wife, Trish Yearwood, came out and sang. I think she's sang there the past three nights. So I'd say you're probably guaranteed for her to be out Friday next and Friday and Saturday yeah. night. And even when that when that happens, I know for Sunday, he did an encore 
And then when he walked out, the ca- I don't know whether it was for the whether it was for the film that he's that he's doing, but he walked out and everyone kept roaring and roaring and roaring. And he stopped and he went, ah hell, I walked back out on stage. I don't think it was planned because there was no guitars on the stage, bar the one that he'd left. And when he picked it up, he'd realised it was the wrong one. So there was about maybe a minute of him talking to somebody. Then they gave him a guitar and then he sang American Pie. And it just was just him and a guitar singing American Pie. It was about quarter past 10. And I went, this is special. This is this is a guy who just loves being on stage and loves everything about Ireland and has realized that there's a there's a grow for him here because uh, the documentary makers were telling me that there's a massive divide like if you look at in America the people in New York and LA would be the kind of the same people as Dublin like only 15% of the tickets sold for the what nearly 450,000 tickets were sold in Dublin the rest of them were sold outside of Dublin so they said there's a massive divide as well in New York and LA compared to the rest of America so they couldn't believe the journey that people were making to actually come to Dublin to see this man play. And I was like, well, look, if you if you like somebody and if you've been listening to him yourself or you've been listening to your parents or grandparents, it's a journey that I think everyone wants to take. But no, it was brilliant. If you're heading Friday and Saturday, you're going he to is enjoy. on stage at about half seven. So d- don't be coming in around half eight. Yeah, because so. there's no there's support, no support tax. tax. Yeah, it's, it's just Garth. Okay, listen, Crossy, it's always... Uh, pleasure to talk to you thank you for that enjoy the Great British Bake Off uh, tonight and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning amazing thank you good morning for today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie as I mentioned yesterday on the programme the number of people booked for inpatient daycare cataract procedures is on the increase with most hospitals who perform this procedure saying there are now more people waiting than there was three months ago. Last Saturday, West Cork Doll Deputy Michael Collins organised his 100th Belfast bus carrying patients from the south for their cataract procedures at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast. Deputy Michael Collins uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Michael, um, firstly... Did first everyone on board were they all okay and was everybody's operation successful or procedure successful after the weekend? Twenty three out of twenty four. Uh, unfortunately, there was a gentleman who had very high blood pressure, and they wouldn't go ahead with the surgery. They don't go ahead with surgery, you know. If there's a, yeah. another medical issue, and some people actually go there not knowing they have another medical issue and end up being maybe uh, saving their lives in the long way, long way around. But this gentleman. Um, they didn't go ahead with that uh, surgical procedure. Hopefully, we'll look after him in the next time. But that's once his, um, uh, his blood pressure issues is under okay. control. Dis- disappointing for him. But the rest, the other 23? 23 had successful operations. Brilliant. Got a lot of feedback on them. Met him on the, when they came back, they were in top form. You know, delighted. The, the relief is, 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 you could see it nearly lifting off their shoulder. Okay, okay well done. done. Well done. done now, I want to take you back. When you organised the first bus, which if my memory serves me right, is probably about uh, five years ago, did you ever think you'd still be at it 100 buses later? No, I, I genuinely, I didn't. You know, we um, I stumbled across the solution, to be honest with you, at the Ploughing Championship in 2000, late 2017. There was a Kingsbridge had a stand there and got talking to this man that was there. He was at the time and he explained the system to me and I, I couldn't understand. So, look, I told him when he called down to the doll a week later, which he did. And I remember talking to Denny Heatery and I said, Denny, I said, you know what we're going to do here? I said, well, I'm in a date with people looking for cataract uh, operations. And he said, I am too. And I said, we'll run a bus. 
And I said, we'd pay for the bus ourselves and they'll do 16 surgeries for us the one day and see how it works. And my God, it explode from there. But I always felt that, you know, in the first few months, uh, someone would sit up here on the age of being um, uh, circles and say, wait a minute, this can't be allowed to continue. But it, it, it didn't. And it has continued and it's grown and grown and to the point that, you know, we've had five buses go up in the last, I'd say, three weeks. And, and, and OK, I'm back in the dawn again, so unfortunately we'll probably be back to two, two a month, but I certainly could do it more, but there's a huge amount of time. I think each bus, which takes about 350 phone calls, so there's a huge amount of work goes on behind the scenes that nobody sees. You're talking maybe with elderly people that find it difficult and they ring back and they want to be assured of this. And uh, you're, you're organising basically their date, you're organising the court, you're organising with the Kingsbridge to make sure they get their consultation operation, you're maybe organising it alone from the credit union, you're organising a hotel room. There's a huge amount of work that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, it isn't simply a case of booking the bus, giving everybody a ticket and saying off you go. So I appreciate there's a huge amount of work. And I think it also needs uh, to be called out and mentioned that this isn't, you're not just doing, while you might have initially started out for constituents and people that you knew yourself who really needed this operation. This has been so successful and uh, has expanded so much. There are people coming from uh, certainly all over Munster. They're not all your constituents. Definitely, even last week now, I, I was steering people towards, like we've both sent uh, people for 3,000 surgeries to Kingsbridge or cataract surgeries in that much time, but that's people from Donegal. Last week, I had somebody from Kildare, I had someone from Dublin. Um, last uh, Saturday morning, we were to pick up a gentleman in the, one of the exits and, uh, on the way to, to to Dublin in Tipperary, but the poor man's wife died on Thursday morning. Ah, bless. Yeah, that, that that kind of tells you the delicacy of the whole thing. And I, know, they are. I know, I know, I know. But what did go up in on Saturday was people from Goline, Glengarriff, Affidown, Clannacilty, Ross Carberry, Corris, Gibreen, Black Rock and Cork, Balavoni, Toker, Mallow, Ratcormack, Yahal, Mahan, Bishopstone, Ballinhasic, Ballyvalan, Kenturk, Kildare, Deucestone Airport, Airport Road, Passage West, Ballinhasic, Ballyvalan, Killarney and Abbeyfield. And that was the geographical spread of what they go. Is, is, there, is there almost a bit of camaraderie on the bus and everybody wishing each other well and, you know... They do, and, and in fairness, there'll be a bit of things, and especially Is coming it? down, there's always a good bit of relief. You know, yeah. and I thought, I thought if you, you had a, a few people and at um, at at the filling station just to give them, you know, to, when we reached Milestone, we said we'd celebrate it in some small way. Danny Healy Ray came down to Cork and met him at Grand. Uh, Mayor Denny Collins and Councillor Ben Dalton O'Sullivan and Neil uh, Maloney from Kingsbridge and Peter O'Donnell from Kilworth and Jerry Harrington whose father was the first person who went, who went up and has passed away since John Patrick Harrington but I was telling him a few humorous um, uh, jokes there like uh, I suppose one of the buses that went up went up in a very very restrictive time in Colwood in the south but when they went to the north it was not as restrictive and the first thing they saw when they got to start was, uh, the Europa Hotel was a pub open across the road and you nearly know it was like a magnet it drew me uh, not all of them, I, I will admit. And of course, they went across the road, which they shouldn't have had. And they went in and had two two points. They ran down um, uh, to get their consultation. Of course, they were so full of celebration. They had their first point, they said, months and months and months, that they told them below in Kingsbridge the whole thing were marched straight back into the bus. PCR tested held for hours and oh. hours. Oh! <laughs> but um, the bus driver will give you to be able to say, sure, I can't control what they do when the belt belt, but I forgot to tell him not to go. Not to go. But that was just one of the, you know, I know, I know. And of course, there was stories. there was a time, and I, I, I remember having spoken to you about it, where people had to get a PCR test before they got yeah. on the bus. 
Yeah, and we were very lucky, in fairness, we had a great company called Bandon Geomedics. Uh, they were doing PCR testing for us there towards maybe the second half. We copped onto a, a local company because it was difficult for us, you know, couldn't get anybody to do anything. But they, they were doing an excellent job for us. But uh, in the last two bus now, there's no PCR testing required in the north for the, right. for the sort of right. procedure. So that actually opened it up more for us to collect people on the going up along uh, now going forward which be, you know before we send them direct themselves to Kingsbridge with a lot of more we're looking for the bus because a lot of people don't want to drive up there worried about that and haven't maybe gone out of their own county and quite comfortable living where they're living and doing what they're doing but to drive to Belfast is too much whereas the bus Yeah but you see as well Michael it's the, it's the nature of the age of the patient going forward for uh, cataract the majority of them are older people and they might be in a position to have even a loved one uh, to drive them to Dublin and they'd be, or to Belfast and they'd be nervous uh, about going and I know as confirmed by the National Council for the Blind if people wait too long for these cataract procedures, they run the risk of going blind. I mean, that's why I know your bus is referred to Belfast or blind, but that's the reality. For the people, the 23, 24 got on that bus last weekend, they've no choice in this. They, they haven't. And the, of the 24 that got on board, I can guarantee you 90% of them are either 80 plus or 90 plus. That's mm. a huge, that's a huge age uh, to reach in your life and to think you're going blind. And I made a very, uh, maybe, Point, uh, point, and I speaking Saturday morning. My, I remember as a, when I was ten years of age, my grandmother went blind, and I remember my mother uh, telling me, "I suppose I was idle at home, of course, in the summertime, go down to school hospital because they're too busy to go and help feed your grandmother." And I remember mashing up the bit of seed and put a bit of chicken and taking to her mouth, and she's trying to find her mouth. I could never understand as a ten-year-old how, how could that happen. And fast forward forty something years, and the same thing would happen to the only for these Belfast or blind buses. It's a, it's a, it's a shocking, uh, it's a shocking situation. We've left our elderly after they're working so hard after they getting up in the morning early, working to make Ireland what it is today, and they left go blind because they won't get a twenty-five minute procedure. You know, it's, it's and that's it's what it is. It's it's a twenty-five minute procedure that ultimately the HSE will pay for because people will claim their 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 money back uh, through this scheme. Could we not be using more of our local private hospitals and as, rather than giving the money to a private hospital in Belfast? Well, of course, um, Patricia, from the very word go, I argue the point and, I, and I've been justified in that because I've spoken to so many uh, people that carry out surgical procedures abroad that it's a clean room fully equipped is what you need and staffed, of course. And that could have been done in Bantry General Hospital, could be done in Mellow General Hospital, and could be done in Cork. And I'm seeing a, sur- uh, a surgeon to come down to Bantry General Hospital with that and, and, and carry out 15 cataract procedures once a month, maybe. Like, that would clean the list. And the same in Mellow, and the same in Cork, and they'd be obviously continued on a more frequent basis than basis like Cork. But unfortunately, the Irish system is failing and failing, uh, miser- failing people miserably. You can see what the situation with the mental health services. Now, when they dropped the, the proposed drop to bid in, in Bantry General Hospital, like somebody said to me, I said, are you going to be taking people with mental health issues to the north now next because of uh, what we're facing? But they, they could easily have resolved the situation. What they are doing now recently to save embarrassment is the HDR giving a list of patients some uh, private uh, operators in Cork. But, like, <laughs> but the lists are still huge. The numbers are huge. They're not tackling the numbers and the number yeah. of people are and with an ageing, with an ageing population, those numbers, those those lists will just get longer. That's the reality. It, it, 
they did, and people were rang recently, contacted recently. Sorry, one gentleman rang me and he said, Tim Lee, he said, look, I'm thankful, why do you give me a date? I'm delighted, I'm just getting a letter yesterday stating that they're, they're looking after me. So, I said, no problem, you're getting looked after and caught that sloop, you're fine, you're sorted. Next thing he rings me two days later, you can't believe it. I rang him. They said, yeah, yeah, we'll look after you, but it'll be three years. He said, put me back on that list again. He was raging because he thought when he got the letter that he was... I know, started, he was done and dusted. Was yeah. when, when will you run your next bus? 24th of September and, 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 and probably one in the beginning of October straight away because we're trying to we're trying to take in hips and knees consultations also because some people can't drive that journey and they can do, do consultations uh, on our uh, cataract buses as well. You know, we can see the PCR testing and, and, and things are relaxed ever so slightly. And, you know, there's a big thank you out there, uh, Patricia, to King's Prescribing Hospital, Mark Regan, um, you know, the CEO there and, and, and to Neve who have been very helpful to us. To, even to people like Anthony O'Brien and the infill-filling station in, in Cork. And I'll tell you, you'll say what, the most, the biggest question has to be when everything is resolved, the biggest question has to be, can we get, can we use a toilet? And at four in the morning, at four in the morning, O'Brien's filling station opens up and they'll... Do that. Well done. Station. Well done. And O'Callan's, well done. O'Callan's in Killarney with the, the bus company and Europe Hotel, which we're looking at. And the hotel must company. know you at this stage, do they, when the bus rolls in? It, it do because what, do you do you like I said about that I might have it, they pay hundred and thirty pounds for the night one room two beds the second person stays free so that's if a uh, loved one goes with them or if it's a friend or a neighbour at least there's two beds in one room and the second person just includes two breakfasts and I said I probably could get about hundred and ten somewhere but the thing is I ring the Europe hotel they have three they have two sister hotels and if they can't put me in one hotel they put me in another another and it can't be just going around. You know, um, we, we're just looking that they're able to see after every one of our buses as they go up into the Europe or the Grand Central. Well, listen, are, it's, are it's just, it's, I, I just couldn't believe when, when I saw that it was the 100th uh, bus. Would there ever be a suggestion that maybe the HSE would take over the running of the bus for you? Yeah, they've they never contacted me from the very first day till this day. No one has ever sat around the table and said, look, this is what our plans are. Can you feed into this? Can you feed your list? It's like, do I have their list? And I'm there on the phone trying to figure out is it a whole blind of the person so I can categorise them as being important to go up or urgent to go up or not. Like somebody said to me, oh, I need to go up. A lot of people, they'll always say that. And I say, oh, oh right, any reason? Well, I, I told I can't get my car. I said, well, that person goes straight away then. You know, because I know that's such an important thing to people. But there's, I'm there. I'm not a medical profession, but I'm trying to categorise the, the, the importance or how badly their eyes are. And I'm trying to figure it out and then trying to put them in a list of importance because I can't get everybody up the first day. But in fairness, we can get up people within two to three weeks, which is which is good, like in fairness. So now you, you have a list of constituents and a list of patients. I have a list of people. Yeah, well, what it is is I have a list of in the constituents. I just, I, the only reason I ask them, Patricia, where they come from is where they're going to be picked up on the bus. Yes, we pick the them up and, up. and they, they Sometimes they're embarrassing. They say, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But forget about that. I'm not interested in the political side. I'm interested in the delivery side of it so that we make sure we pick you up in a comfortable place, not you travelling too far or whatever. And they're quite happy on that. Right? So I have a big list. But what I'm trying to do is figure out how bad are they? You know, can you wait a month or can you wait six weeks? And somebody else can't wait, so I'll get them on the next bus. And that's what I'm trying to dabble around. And I obviously not being the person sitting down before them and the medical professional, I figured that out by talking to them. And, you know, they're eventually after about two or three minutes and you, you kind of read out the, the, the real bad cases and the people that I often say, OK, all right, you have to go straight away. Say no more. I, I get them up in within two weeks, maybe, you know. Whereas some might, they're okay. They might say, you know what, I'm be, I might be alright for another month or whatever. And that's fine, you know. I know where I stand with them people. But and it's a long journey, isn't it? It is, but it's broke up in fairness. The bus drivers are bringing from O'Callaghan's in Killarney. They'll stop and two of the exits going up. 
Um, game still still got obviously going to the O'Brien's spinning in for training station with the Gordon Tiles. Didn't they have 45 minutes? They have to have on the bus. Men have to have a 45 minute break in one of these. Like, just give the chance, go to the toilet, have a cup, have a chat, and they meet someone in that's gone up already because some of them buses, it, it might be for the second procedure, it might be for somewhere for the first, and you know, all of a sudden they get a, you know, they get a comfort feeling. They, they're told, that was no bother when I went up, and they come, they're quite happy then as, they, as the journey goes ahead, should that person be able to do it? And she's way older than me, or she's way older than me. I, I know, I, I, that's what I think. I do think that com- camaraderie of having everybody on the bus together and people helping everybody out, I think that's one of the reasons that people would opt for the bus over even somebody driving them um, themselves. Listen, we didn't want to let the 100th um, uh, Belfast or Blind bus pass without recognising it. So well done to you and, and all the rest uh, who are involved. I know you will say it's a, it's a team effort, but uh, particularly good health and good eyesight to the 23 who had their procedures last uh, Saturday. Listen, I have to leave it there, Michael. Thank you for thanks, that. Sure. And thank uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, West Cork uh, Doll Deputy uh, Michael Collins uh, 0818 at 103103. Our lines remain open. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 086 to uh, 103103. Just quickly, um, Dan says, Hi Patricia, I was on Michael's Belfaster Blind bus five weeks ago. Amazing. Hospital was unbelievable. I can now see perfectly four and a half years I've been waiting for a HSC appointment thanks to Michael and the rest of the team and that's from Dan thank you Dan for your text 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie you're listening to Court today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed and a text in in the last hour saying, Patricia, just to give credit where credit is due, this person wants to recognise the great work of the passport office. Listener says, I applied for a renewal of my passport last Saturday, the 10th of, of September. Or I was going to think what month we're in. 10th of September. Did it at four o'clock in the afternoon. I received my brand new passport in the post this morning on the 13th. That, I'm telling you, that particular service, the renewal online, if everything goes according to plan and you you get the right photograph taken and everything gets accepted that is probably the most efficient service it really really works well and you're right to acknowledge it and for me to call it out actually I was reading on the papers this morning that the we the Irish passport is to get a bit of a facelift uh, Department of Foreign Affairs are spending over a half a million euro on the redesign now when I saw that I said God. Do, do we need, does the passport really need a facelift anyway? Seemingly it does. So 550,000 it's going to cost for the facelift. The redesign will maintain the integrity of the passport service and it will incorporate modern security measures with images of Irish culture. And they're going for Irish culture that represent Irish heritage, our diverse col- culture, our uh, ecology and the different communities that make up the country. So it'll be, and I'm assuming they're going to be on the different pages, you know, the way they've got images on the different uh, pages. Uh, This year alone so far, 800,000 passports have been issued. Last year for the entire year, it was 935,000. So I'm assuming we're on track if not to meet that number to probably even go higher than that uh, number and the Department of Justice says it wants the new design to be ready in four to five months 
uh, time. Uh, the new passport design will be rolled out then across the standards, the 32-page passports that most of us have. Of course, you can also get a larger 64-page one if you are a worldwide traveller. Uh, the new design will also be used for the emergency travel passport, the diplomatic passport, your passport card and also an emergency travel certificate. The passport office, of course, have been under huge, huge pressure over the last number of years as the number of applicants have remained so high. And of course, we've featured countless times here in the programme the numbers of people who are waiting months to get their passport back and we had people missing out on travel because their passports didn't arrive on time. But according to the Department of Foreign Affairs website, the turnaround time now for a simple passport renewal is 10 working days. And if, like our listener, you do it online, you'll have it back in in, I, that's even less than well just under two working days because the listener applied on Saturday they wouldn't have been working Saturday or Sunday so they would have got to work on the passport on Monday and obviously had it in the post Monday evening so that he could receive it he or she could receive it back in Cork uh, this morning so that's a really really fast uh, turnaround but the first time application that is still causing problems it's taking up to eight weeks when done through the paper-based services from Ompost and the department says that the turnaround times has decreased and that is due to significant investment but there still is a delay for the first time passports and obviously they're new if a new baby is born you really need to get working on that and certainly the advice has always been you don't do any booking of travel until you have the passport in your grubby little paws because you don't want to be disappointed to discover that the date of your flight arrives and somebody in the household doesn't have their passport and of course a reminder to everybody to check the dates on your passport because for a number of people heading away this summer was their first time well for most of us it was our first time going away for the last few years because of COVID and how many how many people turned up at an airport only to discover that their passport was out of date so make sure that you do check the passport dates 0818 103103. 103. Now, somebody was talking about lights being on in, I think it was Charleville, wasn't Main Street in Charleville during the day, and saying what a waste of energy that is when we're all told that we should be conserving as much energy as possible and not to be wasting any electricity. Well, Colette says, Patricia, there are Christmas lights on in Mitchellstown that are over two different business premises. They have been there since last Christmas. It drives me crazy, says Colette. Every Wednesday night when I have to take my son into Mitchellstown to go along to the leisure centre. Now, I've seen them on by day, but they're harder to see by day when it's daylight. So it's only at night that you can see that these lights are on. They're obviously on 24-7. Colette said, I've been trying to find out who has them on and why were they left. And they were obviously put up last year for Christmas and that was great excitement. But for some reason, they've decided to leave them on. I'm assuming it's the business premises themselves is it? It's not the they're not the Christmas lights belonging to the towns and that's the ones that most people are worried about the ones that the council erect now we know the council have, have stopped putting up a lot of the Christmas lights and they're leaving it to local traders and chambers of commerce etc so there's going to be a massive cost implication on that one uh, this year and then I've had an email in a lengthy email in from Thomas thank you for this uh, Thomas it, uh, it arrived at my desk uh, yesterday morning and Thomas says Hi Patricia I've been listening to you on the radio about rising fuel prices and perhaps some ways of being more economical. Well, I live in a three-person house and our recent electricity bill was €100 and our gas bill €46. Summertime prices for sure, but lower than average, it would seem. 
certainly lower than average. Thomas, you're doing well. And this is probably because I work to keep the costs down. These are some of my tips to economise. There is little we can do about the rising fuel costs, but all of us can make changes to our lifestyles so that we are paying less every two months when our electricity bill or our gas bills come in. Thomas said, I hear people talk about, oh, turn off all your lights. Well, this doesn't really save you much, especially as most bulbs now are should be LED nowadays. Neither Thomas feels does unplugging all your phone charges are leaving all taking all your appliances off standby. The real cost of energy comes from heating, be it the air or be it water. Sure, boiling a kettle is expensive, but not as much as those daily long showers are people having leisurely baths. If possible, people should change to the night and day electricity rates. I use the washing machine, for example, and the dryer only use it after 11 o'clock at night and obviously Thomas has the nighttime rate so he's getting a lower rate at night. Most people seem to keep the ambient temperature in their house quite warm even in the summer evenings. Is Ireland. It's not Lanzarote. There is no reason to be walking around your house in January or February wearing shorts and a t-shirt. In my job I enter lots of people's houses and it's often like walking into a sauna compared to the outside air. Anything above 21 degrees Celsius, even in winter, is costing you a lot of money. A few eight-hour tea lights can make a room really warm in no time, as well as adding light. Not so long ago, the sensible approach was extra layers of clothing, hot water bottles and candles. All of the things that naturally come into play when there is a power cut. Leaving a boiler or water heater on all the time just for the sake of washing your hands in warm water is simply not sensible. You are going to leave it on, at least turn the thermostat at medium rather than high. Maybe you can't change the cost of fuel, but you can make changes, provided you sacrifice some of your so-called creature comforts. I don't have a dishwasher, for example. And if the washing up is not more than a sink's worth, I simply boil a kettle and do it myself. People have to ask themselves if they are being serious about economising or just waiting for the government to bail them out. The reality is that at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our energy usage choices and the ones that we make. And that comes in from one of our listeners, Thomas, who is really seems to be doing his bit to get an electricity bill in for a three person house for the summer months of 100 euro. That's really doing well. He really is being economical in how they're using their electricity and you know he probably is right we probably do heat our houses too much I mean that tip has been there for a number of years to turn down the thermostat on your heating and you can save I mean huge sums of money can be can be saved and if you turn down the thermostat see how you're getting on if you still feel the house is a little bit on the toastier side turn it down another little bit keep Keep tinkering around with it until you get to a temperature where everyone feels comfortable. I don't think we want anybody freezing. But I, I smiled at the one about the eight-hour tea uh, lights. And I've, I'm big into candles and I love candles and I love that dimmed lights and, and candles on. And I've certainly noticed in, in our sitting room, not so much in the summertime, but certainly in, in the winter evenings, curtains closed and light candles lighting 
the heat that is generated from ordinary candles and even those eight hour tea lights is just incredible. And it's only if you're sitting in and you've all, you know, the candles lit and it's lovely and you're watching TV. It's when you go out of the room that you realise they are when you go back into the room, the wave of heat hits you. It really, it really is incredible. So maybe people want to stock up on tea lights and candles as a way of uh, generating an extra bit of heat this year because God knows particularly as Thomas said if there's a power outage we're going to be needing the candles anyway so we do need to be stocking up on them but if there's any kind of power outages or a fuel continues to rise people are certainly going to be checking uh, how often they're going to have their heating on so it is a good tip and if anybody else wants to share energy saving tips perhaps ones they've been using themselves are we going to revert back to things that maybe our parents and our grandparents did to try to give us reminders of way we can uh, conserve energy I do think the tumble dryer is going to be the big one in a lot of houses as we head into the winter I mean the tumble dryer I'm assuming with the nice weather we have had in the summer the tumble dryer wasn't getting used that often but I heard an expert making the point that you can do a standard wash in a washing machine and on average it works out I think at about 68 cent for a full wash of washing in the washing machine but if you then transfer those items from the washing machine into the tumble dryer and you have the tumble dryer on for two, two and a half hours the while the tumble dryer is running it'll cost you €3.20 so there's a huge difference between the washing machine and the tumble dryer so I think lots of people will probably be considering uh, a clothes horse I think was the suggestion that so many people made so if you do have any other energy saving tips that we can pass on to other listeners we'd love to hear from you you can text our WhatsApp 0862103103. Our email address is patricia at c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. From our Toastmasters, they're beginning their 53rd season. And there will be meeting tonight in the Youth Centre in Formoy. The meeting begins at 8.15 and as with all Toastmasters meetings, they do start on at time. And then they would then meet on the second Tuesday of every month up until May 2023. New members and guests are also welcome to come along and find out more about Toastmasters. Shambali Moore Bingo, that's on tonight, 8 o'clock. They've got a jackpot, €2,750. Continue good luck to Pat Spratt and Father Eugene Baker. They are continuing day two of their Seven Peaks Challenge. Uh, they are climbing all of the Munster Peaks across this week and they're looking for your donations for the Community Air uh, Ambulance and you can you can donate to their GoFundMe page. And the first monthly scrape of the season will take place in Tanner Park, Ballancolic Rugby Club. Uh, tonight, music, song and dance, usual cuppa along with a raffle on the night. Everyone is welcome and everyone's looking forward to meeting up after what has been such a long, long break. And one for tomorrow, Mallow Active Retirement. They're holding a coffee day in aid of Marymount Hospice. It's tomorrow from 10am to 3pm. It'll be in the Arches Function Room in Mallow and your support would be much appreciated. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, Farm Life and Health Insurance. CMIG.ie. Just a couple of more calls in about the Munster rugby match going ahead in Porky Cueve in Cork in November. And we had one of our listeners very much against it and was against the notion of any other sport being played on the hallowed ground of Porky Cueve. 
no problem with concert, no problem with other events going ahead, but soccer and rugby shouldn't be played there. And he's a pains to point out he isn't anti-rugby, he isn't anti-soccer, but he feels they've got their own stadiums and that's where they should be playing their matches. Michael in Skibbereen said the day is gone for just one sport in these stadiums. Yes, an organisation can own a stadium, but we need more sports for all of the stadiums to make them more viable. I completely do not agree with the guy that is texting in. Limerick at the end of the day are losing out on this and they know that it is a huge economic benefit to have an event like this in their uh, city. It's got to be welcomed here in Cork, especially as so many of the local players are involved on the Munster team. And Donal Imbandon said this is a fantastic opportunity for even more sports to be played in Porky Cueve. And now the fact that it's opened up, it'll be the first rugby match ever to be played on Porky Cueve. Donal Imbandon is hopeful that it will open the way for more Munster games. He said, dare he think, dreams. Could we even see an Irish rugby game played in uh, Porky Cueve. Look at the benefits It, from an economical point of view it would be to Cork and the surrounding uh, areas. We have to think of the economic benefits, not just there's obviously a financial benefit for the Cork GAA to have them pay off the debt on Porky Cueve but it's the spin-off to the rest of the area and to the businesses uh, locally. Thank you for that. 0818103103. Amanda, this is on energy saving, I suppose. She, well, she's not too sure if it's energy saving or not, but she said she was out walking last night. And I just don't know where Amanda uh, was calling us from. And she said maybe the lights are timed or something. She said it was between eight or nine o'clock last night. And she said her local church, it's normally beautifully lit up. And as she walks down the hill, that overlooks her village, you can see the church lit up. But she said last night she noticed it was just the street lights. The church appeared to be in darkness, apart from a few very small lights at the very top. Now, she said maybe the lights are on timer. Maybe the lights were due to come on uh, later on. And she said, could it be for energy saving? If it is, she says she totally understands. But she said she would hate to see areas being plunged into darkness in towns and villages as we head into the dark evenings and as winter approaches because she said you know lights can lift the mood of people particularly during winter time and, and you are right yeah maybe maybe it was a timing timer issue you could be right or maybe they're just being economical with the lights because lighting up a church like that every evening is probably costing the church uh, money 0818103103 and we know that the government are doing everything they can in advance of the budget to find out how they're going to help us all, both households and businesses, when it comes to the high cost of energy. And reading in the papers today that our government will consider electricity bill price caps. Now, these are the ones that have been put in place in the UK. It, even in the UK, it's been seen as a very ambitious plan and a very costly plan. Over in the United Kingdom, these price caps have been put in place, which means that householders are being guaranteed for the next two years that they'll pay no more than £2,500 sterling a year for the next two two years. Now if the if the Irish government did that, that would mean if you convert the sterling into euro, we'd be paying two thousand 
every household will be paying 2,886 or no more than that in any 12 month uh, period, which for most householders is over double the amount that they would have been paying before we had this crisis when it comes to energy bills. Now, the electricity credit of €200, the one that we got in March, that is said to be the main focus of the support with the government considering as giving as many as three of those €200 electricity credits in instalments. So I'm assuming the idea would be if it gets announced, you'll get €200 every two months for the next six months coming to 600 euro now Michael McGrath who is the minister the public expenditure minister he said the government hasn't ruled out any measures that could help households struggling with aspiring costs so they're looking at everything they said they will examine in great detail what the UK is proposing on this price cap on households and they said that they look at more details in relation to the European Commission's proposal and the work of the EU energy ministers but in the meantime they're developing a suite of options around direct supports for householders and for businesses. Those direct supports obviously being the energy credits worth up to €600 and a possible windfall tax. They're all still on the, the table and you know they're looking at anything really that can help householders with the bills and I think that's you know exactly what people need to hear and want to hear and certainly will want to hear when the budget gets announced in a couple of weeks time and actually remember yesterday I spoke about the inheritance tax and this was to do with the Commission on Taxation and Welfare they're actually all over the news today because their latest suggestion is an increase in the rate that PRSI is paid by the self-employed and of course self-employed will include farmers and they're they're looking for a huge increase at the moment self-employed people pay 4% in PRSI they want that to go to 11.5% that's a huge huge jump but the Taoiseach Michal Mark yesterday said he doesn't believe that there's any appetite to reduce the threshold on the amount of money that people can leave to their children through the inheritance tax. He said people pay tax throughout their lives and there's an issue with fairness in this uh, proposal. Now he obviously was commenting he's at the Fianna Fáil think in in Mullingar and the fact there was so much written about this inheritance tax yesterday he obviously got doorstepped by journalists when he went out to talk to them and they all started asking about the inheritance tax and he says many many families and family homes he said I think would be disadvantaged by this. He said we are talking after all about families and people who bought family homes and they did it with after-tax income. He said, so I think that the proposal to say to people, you've worked hard all your life, you've bought your own house and now actually we want to take more off you when you die and you can't give it all to your family members. He says, I think he said there's there, that there's an issue with that in terms of fairness. And he said, I don't detect an appetite for that that, uh, specific measure. Mio Martin says he has not seen the report yet from the Commission on Taxation and Welfare. He's obviously heard all about it. He said we will take a look at the Commission of Taxation's proposals in its entirety but he said it will fall to the government to consider the report and to make the decisions on it but he said I don't think there is an appetite for it and I, I think he is 100 Right, I think there would be uproar, particularly with what the Commission is proposing. At the moment, 
335,000 is what a son or daughter can inherit from a parent and that's tax free and then anything over that they have to pay tax on it but the commission on taxation was looking at the other family members like a close family member can inherit 32,500 and a not so close family member can can get just over 16,000 and they're talking about bringing down the the children, whether a child can inherit closer to those figures, which would mean for a lot of families, it would mean if the family home, which generally speaking is what most people go on to inherit, it would have to be sold. And that's just, I heard, for example, one example of somebody who had given up work, had become a full-time carer for an elderly father. The house then in the will got left to that person. So it was their main home. And if there was a system in place whereby they couldn't have inherited 335,000, that home would have to be sold, even though that person had spent 15 years looking after their father. Could you imagine the situation would have to sell the house in order to pay off the, the taxman and then go and try and find some place uh, to live? That be just certainly, I can never see at the moment, I mean, even the fact that they lowered it from over half a million down to 335,000, that in itself hasn't sat well with other people. And I know many of our listeners say that that figure should go up rather than come down. So good to see the T-shirt coming out saying, look, there is absolutely no appetite to reduce the, the threshold on inheritance tax. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, And Patricia. we're going to talk today about uh, resilience because a lot of people are under pressure at the moment. And I'm even thinking of that man who I spoke with at the start of the programme, uh, Rory, the gentleman who was on home dialysis. Yeah. And, and it struck me what a resilient man he is because, you know, he's dealing with with the home dialysis, dealing with the bills coming in with his electricity almost doubling. He's unfortunately the cancer is back and he has to deal with the treatment for that. And yet, yet you could hear it in, in his voice. He was staying as positive as possible. He was, you know, ringing around the suppliers to get the best price he could on his electricity. And you could sense there was, you know, struggling hard to keep that resilience going. But there's a lot of people in the current times, you know, worried about bills. I watched that programme. I only saw the second half of that programme on RT last night on Broke. It's just about people I, being... I have it recorded. I oh, I, I, I'm telling you, I went to bed a bit depressed thinking, God almighty, but some people really, really are uh, struggling. So mm. resilience, I suppose, is, is it's more important than ever, isn't it, at this time? It is, and that's the reason a person rang me to know would we. I know that um, it wasn't uh, 100 years ago that we talked about resilience, but it's a time where the resilience world is going to be, um, you know, very high on the agenda. I think we're in for a fairly tough old time. Um, we need to be ready and we need to do whatever we can do and put in place so as that um, for the winter, um, you see, the prices are going to be astronomical and already are, but supply could be the big thing. It mightn't be uh, the paying for it. It might be that it's not there at all that we press the switch, but there's no light. And, um, uh, I mean, you know, um, we. I remember writing to the paper, the Sunday Indoor, about two years ago, that we were sleepwalking into an energy crisis. 
and uh, and then to hear recently, oh, we didn't get enough warning. Um, I, I don't understand it. And, you know, we have our own gas in Ireland, but we are not allowed to bring it up. Um, it's there, but there's a cap on it. So we import gas, which is probably not as environmentally um, uh, friendly at all as if we used our own. Um, it begs belief, really, I, I think. Um, uh, and there we are. But um, uh, because I know that um, I'd be as aware of climate change as anyone else. But um, uh, it's not going to happen overnight. They're talking uh, completely um, wind, etc., etc., et renewables. Uh, I heard a figure of 2050. Um, in the meantime, um, we need to... Uh, we need to look after ourselves in the meantime. I mean, Germany, um, uh, they realise they have a big problem, and um, whether it's um, this, that, or the other thing, they're, they're going to use um, uh, whatever is available uh, to just uh, tide us over uh, the bad time with, um, with, with, the, uh, with, the, um, with the risk to our energy. So that would be one of the things in resilience um, would be to take action in adverse situations. Um, that would be one of the things. For example, I'm glad that um, we, we have an old four-ring thingy um, for gas. Yeah, um, like a, a picnic stove. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if because our cooker is electric. Like I'm, we're the same. We're the same, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we want to be able to cook a dinner. Um, yeah, I, so I, I bought a small one. I only just got a one ring one, but I bought one of those. It was in advance of one of the big storms coming, you know, that we were warned yeah. about. And the lights did go out. And it was great just to be able to make a make a cup of nothing else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so, and I still have it. And I was just checking where it was the other day, just in case the lights go out. So it's to kind of prepare. And candles. I mentioned candles earlier on. Have candles ready. Yeah, and I, 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 I bought quite a few LED lights. There's well one of them. Um, you kind of uh, you wrap around your head yeah. and it focuses on a book because the one thing I do not want over any <laughs> um, fuel or uh, energy crisis is not to be able to read a book. That right, to me yeah. would be <laughs> um, un- un- unthinkable and unmanageable. So uh, in other words, like, I mean, a part of resilience is um, to to be ready. To be as ready as we can, um, you know, and to accept that um, it, it probably won't be easy. I mean, of course, we must be hopeful. That's part of resilience, to be hopeful. But at the same time, um, you know, uh, what was it, Roy Keane, was it said one time? What was it? Um, what, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things, you know, it, it may never happen. But just yeah. be, be, it's like I used to be a girl guide in a brownie. It was be prepared was our motto. And yeah. just, you just need yeah. to be uh, pre- pre- prepared. And yeah. to, and try to avoid seeing everything as a crisis. And oh, you know, chicken licking, the sky's going to fall in. It may not fall in. It may not. And not to see it as an unbearable problem. Not to be a self-talk about like, I just can't take this. We can. We can take what we have to take. And we will come out the other end of it too. But um, in the meantime, um, 
you know, it's like if you're driving to a destination and suddenly you see a sign on the road, um, diversion, um, well, um, you take the diversion um, and you accept that. It's not the way that your journey was uh, foreseen or planned, but you'll get there. Um, so we, we need to be able to do that. And we, we need to um, keep our close friends close. Um, uh, you know, be able to talk to people. Um, uh, one of the things now that I've got to get is um, some kind of a gadget that uh, that uh, that will hold a charge so that I can charge the mobile even if there's no electricity. Little things like that. Yeah, I don't want pa- it to be stone dead and I can't charge it, you know? Yeah, it's called a power bank, yeah, and they're fantastic. They're, they're absolutely fantastic little things yeah. to, where, to where have. Where can you get them, Patricia? Any Any electrical shop will, will sell them for sure. You probably right. might even pick them up in some of the larger supermarkets, but certainly any of the electrical shops will, will have it. There you go. Yeah, you know, great. just to be, yeah. be, be ready for little things like that. I mean, it would be awful to be there um, uh, without being able to contact I mean, I, I, I sometimes smile that um, when we ring in with the ESB, we'll say that there's a, a power break um, and, and they'll say um, to maybe go online for further information. But in our case, anyway, going online would mean that you'd have to have electricity. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a laptop like this. Um, this would be handy on or, batteries. Yeah, or a smart, you know. yeah, or a smartphone. We 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 get you online uh, as well. Uh, well, and there it, you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so we need to have little things. So like do, that so yeah, and, uh, do uh, and do the planning. And and as you say, you know, maintain the good relationships. That's all great yeah. for res- for for resilience, isn't it? Oh yeah. Even if it was to ring someone up and to say, you know, I'm really, really having a bad, bad time. I'm here in the dark. And, um, you know, the very fact that you have shared it and that the other person would, um, you know, offer some words of comfort, um, uh, that helps. Um, we do need other people. Um, uh, and and uh, close friends are, you know, um, friends are silver and all friends are gold. And uh, we need to uh, we need to bear that in mind, too. You know, um, and and that's all part of this general word of uh, uh, resilience, and um, you know, and 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 to maintain uh, while 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 we don't want to be unrealistic, and we don't want to be having this kind of toxic positivity of everything will be all right. It mightn't be all right, but it'll be bearable. Um, you know, we we've we've got through bad stuff before. Um, and and we will get uh, through them again. Yeah, and it's to try to maintain that hopeful outlook. I think is is rather than saying a positive outlook, but a hopeful uh, outlook and uh, visualizing things. Are you are you a believer in that? I am. Yeah, I am. Um, I can already see the sunshine of the summer well of twenty twenty three. I mean, we will get there, please God. Um, you know, and. Uh, I, I, I think um, uh, to to lose hope is to be in a very, very bad place. We don't have to be jumping up and down and saying everything will be wonderful. It mightn't, and in fact, it probably won't. But, um, you know, we will come out the other side of the, uh, of, of the tough times. And in the meantime, we can prepare as best we can and then... Um, 
you know, uh, accept things the way they will be or are um, in the time that they aren't um, aren't very good. Um, and, and they'll always be kind of, sure, there's humour in it too. I bought a small, no, very small, little um, generator <laughs> years ago. Yeah. I think it was after Starmophilia or something. Um, uh, <laughs> and then I looked up online for the manual and it said, uh, this company has gone out of business. And I thought, yeah, right. So here I am with this. Uh, now, it's very small. I, I think it's petrol driven. But um, there was a neighbor of mine who would be very on the ball with stuff like that. So one day anyway, about a year ago, just as a little experiment, he got it going. So I suppose it might run a couple of bulbs <laughs> or something. <laughs> but um, These again, have like, I mean, that might become a very handy thing to have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Somebody says, Jim, uh, Jim says, just let you know, Roy, Roy, Roy Keane's coat was fail to prepare, prepare to fail. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. Listen, we'll leave it there, uh, Joe. Have a great week. And uh, there's a bit of sunshine this week, so let's all get out and enjoy it as best uh, we can. But thank you for joining us, and we'll chat to you next Tuesday. Absolutely. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Uh, Joe's uh, number is 086-834-81458. And just by the way, um, inheritance uh, tax, when I mentioned inheritance tax and that the Commission for Taxation and Welfare is looking to change how much uh, people can inherit. And obviously, we've, we mentioned that the Taoiseach has ruled that out completely and says, look, there really is no appetite for it. Uh, somebody is saying, um, someone says, there's no inheritance tax on a family home if the carer is living there or it's, or they, as they are the only and main resident for six years before and after the inheritance. And somebody else says, Patricia, I'm all a little bit confused. How much can... Uh, a son or daughter seeing as you're discussing inheritance tax if a, the family home is willed to a child who is living there they're the only resident do they avoid paying inheritance tax yeah inheritance inheritance tax if it's been passed from a father or mother to a son or daughter they invo- avoid paying inheritance tax unless the inheritance which includes how much the house is worth is over 335,000 and that's where the problem is arising because in places like Dublin you could have a standard three-bedroom semi in some leafy suburbia in Dublin that could be worth a million and obviously if a son or daughter inherits that 335,000 of it they're allowed but for the rest of it they have to pay at 30% and that's the same for everyone but most people's houses will be under the 335,000 so no then there is an inheritance tax as if the value of the estate is over that. That's where I wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you on this sunny afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock for Wednesday's edition of the programme. Of course, Peter Dowder will be joining us tomorrow answering all of your guiding questions until tomorrow 10. I'm Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.